I got like a zillion windows open, but they're all on the other laptop. So I got to do two laptops today. <clears throat> if I had been a little more prepared, I would have done it all in one. Tonight on Teal Tinted Glasses, it is me, it's Kevin Lacey, it is Nick Nolenberger. We are going to talk some Barracuda and we are going to get this thing started right now. But of course, if you want to be part of the show, you know what to do. We're going to, you know, hit us up in the YouTube chat, YouTube comments, all of that fun, fun stuff. Uh, you know where we are, tealtownusa.com, um, tealtownusa Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, all, all the all the places. Um, without further ado, let's get this party started. It is myself. It is Nick Nolenberger. It's Kevin Lacey. Nick, happy to see you. Um, I wish it was under better circumstances, though. Obviously, things didn't go the way we wanted them to. <laughs> I know, right? I think uh, there was a lot of optimism the last time we spoke. I think it was—it felt like almost a, a shoe in that we'd be in the playoffs, and I guess that's why you play the games, right? There's a lot of <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a lot of external things that kind of go into a season, especially in the American League, because you've got, of course, injuries, you've got recalls. There's so many different factors. Um, you know, we knew the back end this year was very young, and and how that was going to shake out. I thought it got better as the season continued on, but. Um, you know, in the end, it just uh, it didn't quite work out. There was this little lapse in the year, I would say, around December when the team lost eight in a row. Mm -hmm. and, and even as you, as you look at the end of the year, you're eliminated from the playoffs against a, a Tucson team in which you had more wins against and your head-to-head -head record was better. You had won the five final games against the Roadrunners, yet you don't make the playoffs. So you just think back at a, a game or two. If you could have picked up a point, that would have been all the difference to get you into the playoffs. So sometimes that's the way it works, and I guess – when uh, all these GMs and these owners and the league agreed to expand the playoff format, um, this is exactly how they envisioned it, uh, it going down to the final wire, and that's exactly what occurred. So fortunately, the team didn't make the playoffs, but overall, it was a great year. We had a great group of guys. Um, I thought the development was awesome in the new arena, um, and, and it's, it's going to set up for next year, I think, and moving forward to, to have a really exciting product on the ice. and. See how things shake out. Every year is different, but uh, overall, I would say it was a success. Aside from not making the playoffs, yeah, it's you know it's funny because it, it got to a point in the season where like nothing that happened with the Sharks could hurt me. Like we knew what was going on there, but man, the Barracuda they they found new and inventive ways down the stretch there. It was just because again, like they were right in there until uh, until the end, and then you know just one more one more point, one more point in those final you know four or five games and and that you know those games against tucson matter and then who knows but yeah. fortunately that i still is have a bone to, i have a bone to pick with that because the barracuda had more wins fewer losses <laughs> and the same number of points and somehow lost the first tiebreaker ah! i know i know, I know. I, even the players were saying that they they after the final game and you look at the records you have more wins in the team that made it in the playoffs and um you know, makes finished you, you a scratch your head. losing streak for Tucson. Yeah, too. yeah, they limped their way in, certainly. But again, I, I think it goes back to it's a long season and yeah. uh, you shouldn't be having it come down to the final weekend anyway. And right. it's going to happen with young yeah. teams, right? Exactly. Uh, we saw it all year long. There was ebbs and flows in this team. Um, for most of the year, they were near the bottom of the league in terms of goals for. So there was a, a continued struggle to score goals, even though it didn't always feel that way because you had so much firepower and so many players that you you felt like had offensive ability. But if you look at the stats from just a goals for standpoint, goals against, uh, special teams-wise, I think the power play was dynamic at times. At other times, it was a little sluggish. So there was just 
wild inconsistencies. You go back to the start of the year, the team won the first four games of the year. They didn't win four in a row again after that point. The most they won, I think, was three in a row, and it happened just twice. Right. So, you know, it's it's just hard to it's hard to make the playoffs if you just can't have a stretch and a period of time where you're you're playing really good hockey on a consistent basis. It was win one, lose one, win two, lose two. It's just it never quite got that momentum that you need to get into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, you know, you kind of brought it up there. Like, obviously, um, they got off to a good start, but then they really kind of struggled with consistency. Obviously, injuries, I think, played a big factor. I think the blue line um, was something at the beginning of the season I think we all identified as as something that was going to be a concern for the Barracuda. And then, obviously, with injuries, not only on the Barracuda, but on the big club, it got really thin really quick on the blue line, um, unfortunately. I, I think my first question is... is um, was was there maybe a little bit too much expected from this team, considering it was ex- it was looking for the bulk of its firepower from first year pros? Probably. That being said, they brought in some veterans this year. I, I felt like we had more vets, at least up front, than we've had in my seven years. We we brought in a guy like Agazino and and CJ Cease and Luke Johnson, guys who have a good chunk of time in the AHL and NHL experience under their belt. Um, and there was more of a blend, I would say, of young players and, and veterans than we've seen in recent memory. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah. you know, you look at a—I mean, let's look at the teams that, that are at the top of the Pacific Division: Calgary and Coachella Valley. Coachella Valley has a completely veteran-laden team. I mean, they had one guy in their roster essentially all year long that was a drafted player. Now, that's not a surprise given the fact that they have an expansion NHL franchise in which they play under. Mm-hmm. But these are teams calgary and coachella valley is kind of the the standard bearers in our division this year veteran laden very experienced obviously calgary is the best goalie in the league um they've got veteran players they've got skilled guys you look at a a matt phillips is just a consistent offensive producer they had some prospects mixed in in there but they were pretty high draft picks i think of a a, like a a peltier um it's just an example so they had guys and a blend of guys um and they had success last year so Maybe there was too many expectations because you've got high prospects coming into the fold and you just never know what you're going to get from a from a youth standpoint, how quickly they can develop from a from a defensive standpoint, a 200 foot game. These guys have all the skill in the world they can score. But if you're giving up more goals than you're scoring, then obviously you, you've got an issue there. So maybe maybe the ex- expectations were a little bit high. Um, that being said, they I think they should have been. I, I think there was enough talent on this roster to get into the playoffs. And if you again, if you ask the players and you got a pulse of how the players felt, um, they were disappointed as well. I think that everybody hoped to get in the playoffs, um, thought they would reach the postseason, and unfortunately it, it just didn't happen. Again, I would say lapses in consistency was probably the biggest issue. Um, and, you know, they just had trouble stringing, stringing stretches of good hockey together. Again, they'd lose a couple and they'd lose, and then they'd win a couple. So it was just, it was oddly inconsistent all year long. Um, but to say that, there was too much, too much expectation. I mean, you've got guys like a Bordalo and a, an Eklund that are highly touted, and we've talked about these guys for a few years now. Definitely. So it's it's natural. I think I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having big expectations, um, but with youthfulness, you just never know, right? There's there's just going to be that uh, unknown going into a year. Yeah, I I I, I think that's fair. Um, what did you? How would you rate John McCarthy's first year as head coach? Um, and what lessons from his first season do you feel yeah, like he yeah. needs to 
take into his summer to prepare for next year? Well, you know, it's, it's different, I would say, in the American Hockey League than it is at the at the NHL level. You've got a different mindset. You've got a different approach. You've got, uh, I would say, more influence from the brass and from the organization and what they want to accomplish. Um, I think there's influence on lineups and who's in and who is out. Um, you know, the roster is going to be influenced, I would say, in the sense that uh, you've got different people with different opinions. Um, that being said, I think he did a, a great job for, for his, the circumstances and, and for the for the group that he had. Um, you know, everybody's going to learn. I, I learn every year from a broadcasting standpoint on, on things I hope to get better at every year. And the offseason is a great time for reflection. Um, and sometimes you gain the most, I would say, in terms of progress in the offseason. I think John will go into this summer and, and really be able to reflect and be able to turn around next year and, and tweak some things where he, he probably saw fit. Um, overall, though, if you ask the players on how he handled them, um, glowing things from all, all the veterans and the young players, he's he's a player's coach. I would say he's a modern coach in the sense that, you know, he's not going to grind you and in the sense that he's not going to he's not going to grind you down to the stumps, if you will, if you're not playing right. well. He's going to try to up, uplift you. He's trying to get the most out of you. Um, and he's not that far removed from his playing days. So he really does have a good pulse on on the modern players. So. Overall, would he have liked to get in the playoffs? Certainly. Um, I thought that the coaching staff as a whole, uh, Louis Mass, Kyle Hagel, um, did a pretty darn good job. Again, for those assistants as well, first year in the American Hockey League, so a lot of learning um, on all levels. Um, to not get in the playoffs, disappointing for everybody, but overall, I thought they did a really good job. Great. Uh, Kevin, anything you want to add to that? Oh. Uh, just kind of a side comment because Nick was talking about how uh, it's a, a learning experience for everyone. I was going to just say for you on your broadcast, I noticed you took some big steps this year. I was wondering if you, uh, this is, again, really kind of just a side comment, but uh, if you, you know, kind of went under Rusinowski's wing during the off season or something, because you just, you had a little bit of a different presentation to, to, you know, being the one-man show on the audio broadcast, but I thought you really came through strong. So I was just kind of curious. I've been meaning to ask you all season. Like, uh, <laughs> have, have... well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, you know, every year you try to get better. I, I think players have the same mindset. But you know, my lifelong goal and my goal in this entire thing is to get to the NHL. So I think every year you're you're reflecting and trying to grow in different areas. Um, you know, COVID afforded, I think, a lot of opportunity for reflection, um, mm. nitpicking and maybe fine-tuning, if you will. So, yeah, I think every year I try yeah. to get better. And obviously Dan has been a huge mentor to me since I was a young kid um, growing up in this area. Him him, and both Randy Hahn have been huge uh, idols of mine. Um, but Dan, specifically just our relationship, I, I have a great relationship with Randy as well, but um, me and Dan talk quite frequently. Um, just cool. about the nuances of it. So he's been a, obviously a great mentor to me. And, you know, what Dan does, obviously you're trying to pull things from that because of his his legendary career and, and all that stuff. So thank you very much for the comment. I really do appreciate it. Um, but yeah, of course, trying to go in every yeah, year, man. trying to get a little better. So yeah, how was, how was it broadcasting games at Tech CU Arena? Obviously we have the new arena. There was, everything was brand new, some kinks to work out. Uh, sometimes the beer wasn't always... Uh, <laughs> Well, some of those taps were a bit uh, tapped out there, but I'm just curious your thoughts from a broadcast because you had the kind of the, the perch up high to look down uh, right there at dead center. But um, um, how was that 
perspective. Did they ever get you a chair at any point this season? Uh, I've got, yeah, I had some high, kind of bar style chairs. Um, it was great. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, I, I think we we may have mentioned this last time where I spoke to somebody about it. It's, uh, as broadcasters, we try to be as low maintenance as possible. Uh, it is not about us. You know, I don't want uh, anybody going out oh, and yeah. have to do anything actually for me. But uh, selfishly, it was incredible. The, the, the vantage point, incredible, right at center ice. Um, I told a couple different people this. I could basically read the, the names off the back of the jerseys. So you go from SAP Center where you're so high, and it was a great experience, and I and I truly enjoyed my time there and uh, didn't take it for granted being in that building. But uh, to be in your own home and, and have the season that uh, we had, obviously, with a lot of young players and exciting team, it was an, an incredible season. And I think that says – as I've looked back over the last couple of days and, and reflected on the year as, as a whole, I, I thought to myself, I was like, that was one of the most enjoyable seasons I, I think I've ever had. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we had a great group, but also going into that new arena and having just this injected life into the team, um, having an identity, no longer being in the shadow, I guess, of the Sharks and being able to really kind of sell this brand and grow these players and put some light onto the, the prospects. I, I just think as a whole, it was uplifting to everybody who's involved in including myself and yeah from a broadcasting van vantage point it does not get any better we are right at center ice um if we were at sap center they would have kicked us out of there a long time ago to put sweets <laughs> so uh sweet holders and sell those spots so that that's how good of a spot it is so yes it was excellent that's true um, so i'm gonna try and to, go oh, hang on ian so yeah. i'll get this back on the rails here again since i clearly <laughs> no, drove fine. it off no no but, that's fine so Nick, you're talking about uh, having, um, you know, a nice, luxurious kind of, you know, feeling to being at Texas CU Arena here. Did you get a, a different vibe from the players this year as opposed to other years when we were in the cavernous SAP Center? Uh, I, I was curious if you got kind of just a, a different vibe from the team going out, maybe being a little, you know, seeing more people and fewer empty seats uh this year like just i was curious did you get anything from them definitely 100 percent, no question um more pride i think for the players um you know they they felt like there was a real legitimate home ice advantage it didn't necessarily translate wins and losses per se i wouldn't say the uh the home ice record was sparkling it was about 500 i believe is what we finished at but uh no question, um, guys were, were, I think, proud would be the, the correct word um, to play in front of the fans, have that atmosphere. Some of those bigger nights, it was uh, pretty palpable amongst the group and even among the fans that there was just, you know, there was energy in the building, something that just was not there uh, very often at SAP Center. And, you know, it's natural, right? You've got a minor league team in quotes playing out of an NHL building and it's just hard to sell. And, you know, atmosphere sometimes sells itself in a lot of these buildings. Um, you know, if you went to an NHL game and it was empty, it's it's kind of a a, uh, a buzzkill, if you will, uh, for fans. Yeah. And the same thing can be said for the American Hockey League. Playing out of an yeah. NHL building, you go and you just don't leave the building, even if they won, with that that kind of feeling in your stomach and in I guess your soul, like man, that was that was so fun. There was so much energy, and it, now I feel like that that is there. There's that uh, that sense of um, fandom and, and energy going into games and it can really have an impact on the, the result on the ice and you know it's been great for the players too and, and I think for the brand we had a, a big U.S. Um, hockey tournament when we were out of town a couple of weeks back and it's just a great facility for them to use they have the national championships there and 
for kids coming into town and people not familiar with San Jose, for them to be able to play now in that building and they use it for other things beyond the Barracuda, um, just a great selling point for our city um, to really, you know, I think a lot of people realize that San Jose is a hockey town, but it only expands that, if you will, because now you've got this extra building and you've got this facility where you've got but six rinks, including this arena, it's pretty incredible. And it's it's kind of like a little hockey heaven. It really is. Yeah. Okay, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Back on track. Um, player I wanted to ask about, um, Thomas Bortolo, obviously finished the season up with the big club, but he seemed just to be kind of snake bitten at the end of the season. I was just wondering if, if it was an issue of fatigue or maybe something nagging him um, or just maybe opposing teams kind of figuring out what his game was uh, as the season went on. Well, we we I think we may have talked about this last time too. You mm-hmm. know, this was a this was a breakout season for him from a goal standpoint. Hadn't scored this many goals in his his entire career. He always even referred to himself much more as a playmaker um, as opposed to a goal scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it was a, a f- element of that where he was in, in to a degree from a goal standpoint there was a little overachieving. That being said, a lot of his goals um, were scored. You know, he had a lot of production on the power play, nine goals on the power play. A lot came in that kind of flank, one-time position. And uh, they kind of, I guess, untapped the potential of his scoring ability and his shot because he has a great shot, something maybe he didn't utilize as much in the past. So as you go down the stretch, certainly I think you can probably account for some fatigue. You know, he played the collegiate le- at the collegiate level the last two years, and we see it every single year, whether he played college hockey, which is essentially half as long as an American League season, or if you played played major junior, just dealing with the rigors of the pro game and and the travel and uh, all that goes into it. There's not not as much recovery time. Uh, it's it's kind of inevitable for for a guy to hit a wall a little bit. Uh, we saw it with Tristan Robbins at one point, and then he kind of got yeah. past the wall. We saw it with Daniel Lucian. Yeah. Um, he had a little bit of a, a stretch where he wasn't scoring a ton, and then obviously finished the season just red hot. So for Bortolo, I think it, you can certainly go back to the fact that maybe some physical fatigue. Um, and sometimes you don't score, and then all of a sudden you aren't getting as many opportunities, right? They had him on right. the second power play down the stretch. Um, so you're not playing with you know certain guys and, and all that. So um, – yeah, I think there was various factors, but a fatigue. I, I think it'd be hard to hard to look beyond that. Yeah, that's fair. I was just I was just curious if there was anything else maybe to it. Um, I think too. Like, I mean, obviously, guys watch tape too. So I think if you're always scoring a goal from a certain spot, then obviously people are going to be watching for you in that spot in those situations. So I think that doesn't um, doesn't help anything either. But yeah, it makes sense. Um. Uh, who, in your opinion, uh, was the most improved player or players uh, on the team from from the beginning to the end? Like, who's who do who do, who stands out to you as as the most improved uh, players from? That's a great question. Well, one guy that sticks out is Ozzy Weisblatt. Um, just the way that he was able to find his way into the lineup on a regular basis. I think everybody looks for him to score because he was a first round draft pick. But if you mm-hmm. really watch his games, even going back to junior. For a small guy, he really packs a punch. It, obviously, he has a great uh, he has a great skating ability, um, but he's out there throwing the body, and guys just don't like to play against him. I mean, you'll see it every yeah. single game. He's got a few different guys every uh, going after. Game. And I mean, he it, the the hits that he's throwing is almost a little bit of a throwback. Um, he threw a hit on Riley Tufty uh, probably three weeks ago when we were out in Texas. And Riley Tufty, honestly, six five. He's um, a tank. He, he's a big a boy and he's three or four years now into his pro career. So he's not just a wiry forward and doesn't just have the height. He's a big guy. 
Um, and Weisbot caught him coming down the wall, and he put him straight onto his back. I think his skates were above his head uh, in the middle of that, basically through the hit. Then at one point, his skates were above his head. Um, it was a huge hit, and that's just kind of the style that he plays. And, you know, he, he gained the trust of the coaching staff. Um, obviously, he had the hat trick against San Diego a couple of weeks ago, which was certainly, I, I would imagine, a confidence booster for him from an offensive standpoint. But fun to see his evolution this year, um, to get into the lineup again. He was in and out, didn't play the first nine games, I think it was, at the start of the year. So, um, you know, to see him be able to have have kind of a, a good, strong second half, getting the lineup on, the, on a regular basis was encouraging. Um, I would say a guy who there was expectation, but it was really exciting to see the way he finished. And I think he puts himself right at the top, uh, maybe not quite at the top, but near the top in terms of prospects for the Sharks is Daniil Gushin yeah. and, and his his scoring ability. He kind of has, I would say he has a, a skill set that maybe the other prospects don't have. Um, you know, Bortolo can really rip the puck, but Gushin almost can shoot it at another level. Um, has an NHL release, obviously isn't a big guy, but he showed it off in his NHL debut scoring that goal. I mean, just a beautiful goal with that shot. Um, you know, he, he's he's intriguing. And the way he came on at the end of the year, I think, is is encouraging. Um, you know, there was guys that you circled and guys that you felt like the organization were probably going to give looks to, at least in the early going. And Gushin just continued to impress and impress um, as the season had continued along. So just a couple of guys that come to mind. Um, not that there weren't expectations for them, mm-hmm. but just the way that they got better and better as the season continued along. No, I definitely, yeah. I, I, I definitely agree on Gushin. I think like Kevin on Twitter um, during one of the games, like really um, highlighted how Gushin had kind of really come on for me at the end of the season where he kind of got, you know, Kevin, I think you said that he, he, you know, he started the season kind of getting perimeter player, getting pushed yeah, off the very puck. Perimeter, very shoved off the puck on the boards all the time and then by the end of the season he was one of the most fiercest players out there yeah yep yeah i agree i I think you know what these guys all have to learn um as you get to the pro level especially when you're when you're undersized is you know you have to have a willingness to go into the to the greasy areas and that doesn't always mean going right to the front of the net and take a punishment but you've got to be willing to sometimes you know stick your stick your nose over the puck a little bit and take a check from from time to time and um if you can't you're probably not going to make it in the long run uh, you know there's a lot of skill in the american hockey league and sometimes it's the most finite differences which can get you to the nhl and have you stick or not so um yeah i noticed from daniel as well as the season continued along he had a more willingness to to take some of that punishment um was more willing to go into the corners and and win battles and compete so um you know those again those are the things that don't necessarily show up on the score sheet but are the difference between a player getting up to the NHL or not. And, you know, the brass watches these games, and they're focusing, obviously, on production from a point standpoint. But it's the whole cake. It's the whole pie. It's it's all the different factors that are going to get you to the NHL. They'll give you a game or two. But, obviously, you know, up top, they're not going to – the leash is going to be short if you're, if you're a liability in your own end or you're not willing to, to battle and compete. So um, Absolutely. It, yeah, it was it was fun to see that this year for sure. Uh, yeah. Hey, Ian. Yep. Yeah. Uh, go for it. That's what I was going to bring up the oh, chat because yeah. you, I, I like your wife one because I was thinking Gushin all the way, and then you threw Weisblatt out there, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I see that." So we do have a, a question there, Ian. Yeah, I, in the chat, Tiger in the chat just asking. Uh, Ozzy was recognized, obviously, as a hard hat. His style suits what Greer has spoken about. Um, do you see, like, if, if you're a guy like maybe Adam Rask, are you looking over your shoulder a little bit, uh, when you see a guy like Weisblatt coming up? 
Well, that's a good point. Yeah, they do have similar skill sets, I would say, in the way that they, you know, throw the body. Um, we're watching it in the playoffs right now. I don't know how many uh, of these games you guys have watched, but it doesn't hurt to have multiple players who are willing to do what those guys do because it's not an easy living. Um, <laughs> it, it's hard. It's, uh, it, it's, you know, sometimes I'm sure they don't feel like always playing that way. Um, but yeah, that's a good question. Cause there are some similarities I would say just on the, the, uh, compete level that they both have. But I think the more the merrier with those style of players, at least in my mind, um, <laughs> Especially because they're sure. both they're both not that big too, so you you just never know from a kind of a, a health standpoint on on things can happen, right? So, um, good question, I would say, but uh, at the same time, doesn't hurt to have a few of them, I guess, would be my answer. I think um, for another guy like for most improved, a player that comes to my mind is Nizev. I th- I really liked his game as mm. the season progressed a lot. I thought he made some some real strides this year. Um, what do you think about Nizov? Uh, Kinijov or, uh, uh okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, um, definitely. I think he got better and better. I thought last year he kind of came on at the end of the year. Um, and I felt like this year, you know, that he really came on early. And then I think, you know, it was, there was kind of a, you know, the decor as a whole, I thought was interesting because you just had, you had a lot of youthfulness, um, obviously with, uh, Kinesioff joining the, the group late that mm-hmm. gave you a guy who had some experience, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, there, he can skate, obviously that's his biggest skill set is his ability to skate. Um, you know, he's got to be willing and I think he's getting more willing to take some of the punishment again, not a huge guy. Right. Um, I think there's still meat on the bone there in terms of development and what he can he can become, and the expectations are still high for him because he he was a high draft pick. Um, but yeah, I like I thought it's a good question because I I did like his game certainly at at moments. Um, I thought there's there's still a lot there that uh, gets you excited about his ability. Um, so I think more development isn't going to hurt him, and he's still a really young player. So. Yeah. You know, overall, I thought there was definitely some some positives and strides to his game. Uh, it's taken a little bit longer than maybe he would have hoped for, um, but at this point, it's it's stacking effort after game after game. Right? It's it's kind of a slow a slow process, and you know he's got to just continue to try to get stronger and and you know um, use this off season as a as a tool for him because it's going to be a big one. Next year will be his uh, third season in the organization, so. You know, you certainly look at next year as being a big year for him. And Ooh, and I think ahead. that with Nyatsev, like you said, he started off very strong. Like he looked like a completely different player from last season in in my eyes. In both ends of the well, he had some pretty good offensive prowess towards the end of last season. But I've the full package started to come through here this season. And uh, as I I've, I've been saying most of the year, if he can take the same jump. From last season to this season, uh, have that 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 same I don't know <clears throat> gap covered next year. I think he's right on pace to get to the NHL, and I think he slipped a little bit when he basically became the only player we had on the blue line there for a while. Because when Derek 
Scott went down with the the injury and had his bionic arm for two months. And then uh, Chichak got called up, and I can't remember someone else got hurt. Then Ryan Merkley, oh Hataka, Hataka got hurt. And then Ryan Merkley requested the trade, and he didn't play. So started bringing in. I mean, it gave opportunities for Will Rydell, Darren Brady, who I think Darren Brady is another player you, we can look at and say vastly improved from the start of his tryout to earning a time contract and, and finishing out the season with the team. Uh, you know, Jalen Smerick was back there for a few games. And and so Kenyatsev for a bit, along with Patrick Seeloff, really had to be the guys. I, c- I couldn't believe we had Patrick Seeloff on power play unit one there for a little <laughs> a little while. But uh, um, but Kenyatsev came back uh, a bit there the second half of the season. And now it's going to be that Russian decor, guys, with, with Kenyatsev, with Ochatiu, Muhammadulin. Like, uh, I'm going to kind of steal one of Ian's questions. What do you think mm-hmm. about Muhammadulin towards the end of the season? Yeah, I thought he was really good. The The first game or two, obviously, there was an adjustment period. But uh, the, the points, you know, get you really excited, obviously. But his skating ability and his size... Um, his, his kind of cerebral nature to get out of areas and, and he doesn't mind holding on to the puck a little longer. So, um, yeah, I was excited about him. That was, a, that was a fun thing to see at the end of the year, see a player like that come in, uh, big expectations, big piece in that trade. And I thought he was really good down the stretch. So look forward to him coming into training camp. I I'd expect him to play, um, next year, a good chunk with the Barracuda, but would not be surprised if he gets, you know, quite a few games up top in the NHL. Yeah. And nine assists in 12 games. A couple of those were bulked up. He had a four assist game. I think he had a couple two assist games. But still, I mean, for a guy who's supposed to be decent defensively, decent offensively, I think nine points in 12 games from a six foot four defenseman is excellent offensive production from him. So um, Tiger in the chat said on Yabuchi, he had the shoulder injury. We didn't see him after late January. So that's another Another player. So I think I stepped up. Can, we got Kenyatsa or uh, Knizhov back. Oh, shoot. I remember <laughs> Ian asked you a question about getting confused between Knyatsev and Knizhov, and there I went right there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We forgive um, you. We forgive you. <laughs> since we were talking about Hamadoulin, um, you know, obviously a guy who could potentially play some game. Who um, who else on this year's team do you think has a, has a real good chance of being on the NHL squad next year, at least, or, you know, starting or even, you know, a guy who would be next up if um, the NHL team came calling? Uh, probably William Eklund. Yeah, I think he's probably the first guy you're going to circle as an NHL. He's an NHL player. I think, obviously, this year was a, a development year um, for him. The organization made a point of keeping these young guys in the American Hockey League to really develop, and they called him up at the end of the year. Um you know, have the surgery, I think he'll be 100% by the time training camp starts. So he's a guy who's, you know, they draft him where they did, obviously, and uh, he's a guy I would not be shocked if makes the big club next year and is with them pretty much full-time. Um, the thing is, it, it's funny, we, you know, every year this this happens, but, uh, you know, we talk about who's going to make the team out of training camp, mm-hmm. and a guy could make the team for two days and be back in the American sure. Hockey League. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's a little bit uh, subjective, but... Uh, you know, there's lots of guys I think that are going to get games. We talked about Gushin. I think it's going to have an opportunity. Obviously, Bordalo, um, another guy with a lot of skill. You're looking for, I think, next year, we'll see what the direction is. But you're, you're looking for young players to come in and provide an offensive punch um, right away. So, 
you know, those are guys that you're going to look to potentially to provide that, um, be more depth uh, from a scoring standpoint. Um, Muka Madulan, I think, would be a guy that you'd certainly circle next year. But then there's guys every year, you know, that the offseason, as we talked about, is a big, big opportunity to try to expand your game. Guys come in and they're some guys take advantage of it. You could tell right away whether they, uh, you know, they added mass or, or they're just quicker, or stronger, or bigger, um, all these different factors. So be hard to predict, but certainly a guy that I think would be pretty, pretty easy guess would be a guy like William Eklund, obviously. Sure. Uh, can you drop maybe? Do you think he's. I would. Uh, Nikolai? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, the fact they gave him the two-year deal, I think that kind of, um, you know, that that gives you indication on how they feel about him, where he is physically, uh, missing the two years, basically. Um, got more and more comfortable as the season continued along. You know, his size, his skating ability, those are factors that uh, got him to where he is as an undrafted player, got the Sharks excited about him in the first place. So, yeah, I could see him, um, certainly, as he gets more healthy and, you know, the time you got to imagine even at the end of the year the timing wasn't completely there for him uh just trying to get the you know he got better obviously but when you yeah. sit out two four years you can't yeah. imagine for a guy to come back for even for a month and a half i and, can't and, sit out two weeks without yeah. being behind so <laughs> exactly exactly so um yeah i think that's a good point for sure i think he'll he'll be in the mix definitely um, okay. Um, obviously, there's we we talked about some of the veterans on on the team earlier, but the, I think the guys that were, to me, the the guys that um, were really really big. I, I mean, I'm not and not to diminish importance from other players, but like when I look at guys, I'm looking at Derek Pouliot, Aaron Dell, and Kyle Criscolo, and these guys are obviously all um, free agents coming up. Um, do you think um, any of these guys could be back, or and how much of a priority do you think it is? for Joe Will to try and get some of these guys back in the fold? Well, the goalie position, I think, is the most intriguing position because you just signed Krona. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you going to do with Aaron, with, uh, excuse me, Strauss Mann? I think he was on a one-year deal, so does he yeah. end up coming back? Um, you know, McAdee, I mean, obviously, uh, is going to be in the mix next year. Also in um, RFA, though. What about, yeah, and what about Ben Gaudreau? Where, where does he stand? Um, does he end up signing his ELC or does he go back to junior? I think he's got a, another year. Um, so where does the goaltending position stand? I'd like to say I could predict it. I, I couldn't predict it that Aaron Dell was going to be in the mix last year, and I think uh, he ends up coming in, and he was. I thought he was great for the room. He's a great guy and um, good for the young goalies, and we see it now in the NHL pretty constantly. You kind of need, at the minimum, you need two guys in the NHL and three guys essentially under NHL deals, uh, whether they're in the American League and in the ECHL. Um, so I'd expect them to have probably five goalies under NHL deals um, in the mix. Who those five are, I guess it's a little bit up in the air. I know the Sharks, there's some question marks on what their goalie tandem will be next year, and you know that may impact the Barracuda. So uh, from Dell, from Dell's standpoint, um, hard to say. Again, I think that's probably the most intriguing one. Mm-hmm. Pouliot was great great with the group when he was healthy obviously missed uh missed a good chunk of time and the team certainly felt that impact of his absence but um i think at the american hockey league level he's pretty pretty dynamic and he's you know he's a veteran player who can produce and provide leadership in the locker room um i wouldn't be surprised if they'd like to have him back um you know he came in on an american hockey league deal last year and then ended up getting the nhl deal does he want to have a situation like that again i don't know yeah he did it the year before in vegas actually he started on an ahl deal 
and then had a, the same situation where he ends up signing an NHL deal. He got claimed off waivers by Seattle, so that's why he finished up there. But So we'll see about that. And then um, who is the final one? Uh, Kyle Chris third Colo. One? Chris Colo. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about Chris Colo, but I would love to have him back. He was, he was just incredible uh, in the room, just an excellent guy. Um, you know, obviously produced – and that was that was a almost a cherry on top, if you will, because it's the you know the type of presence that he had in the locker room. So, not sure. I would certainly hope that he'd be back. You know, he was he was just a great addition for the team. Yeah, I thought like when they when like when they started making the moves, um, especially like the bear the Barracuda specific moves. Like, I mean, Chris Golo coming in, I thought like that was that changed the team. Definitely. Um, other yeah. guys, you know, um, bringing in. Like the Jacob Peterson for for Scott Rudy trade, I thought was really good. I mean, obviously that's not well, that wasn't just for the Barracuda, but just for the Barracuda right now. Um, I thought that was you know that was a nice thing way to shake things up a little bit. Um, and then Kout coming in, obviously, and uh, for Merkley, I thought worked out really well too. I think for for a lot of what the Sharks did um, mid season, I, I thought it really helped the team it, it I, I thought the team definitely kind of turned a corner it didn't obviously make the playoffs but I thought that it put it in a much better position to do so because I felt like as those guys came in the team played a lot better I think the team down the stretch played their best hockey of the season yeah totally agree 100 percent um even going back to the start of the year when they faced Coachella Valley a few times they were blowouts mm-hmm. and then down the final stretch I think every game was basically decided by a single goal um, much more competitive and you think again the team didn't make the playoffs but where would they have been without a guy like Chris Colo that's how big of a factor he was yeah um, he was just so good with the team so good in the locker room um, and basically from his first game he was he provided offense so I think he scored in his first game I think he scored twice in his first game if I remember correctly so yeah, yeah he, he was just yeah, an he incredible did. He did. incredible yeah. addition yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, he shut some people up. I remember there were some comments. Uh, I was not one of the comments, but uh, <laughs> some comments about why are we trading a 25-year-old prospect for a 30-year-old AHL vet? And I'm like, do we not remember Kyle Crisquolo being the biggest nuisance in the Western Conference Finals for Grand Rapids? Like, I remember. I loved that guy. I even I told him at the skate, like, man. I've loved you your whole career except that one series you played against <laughs> us in the playoffs. And he, he had a good laugh about that. He seems like a really good guy. And yeah, Ian, you're right. Between Agatzino, we didn't even mention Andrew Agatzino, a- team Agatino MVP team. and won the leadership award. I mean, he's a fantastic veteran, came in very noticeable on the ice and I'm sure off the ice as well. But between him coming back from injury, Chris Cuolo coming in, uh, via trade, and also Pouliot coming back from injury. Those veterans really, really helped guide the youth, I think, and it helped build some some consistency here. I, I would love to... I'll be devastated if we don't bring back Chris Guolo, guys. <laughs> yeah, me, you know, me too. Me too. No, he was great. Um, Bob Kayser, who is actually the voice of the, uh, the Grand Rapids Griffins, he had sent me an email as soon as that trade went down, and he said... You're getting one of the best guys I've had in my 25-plus year career. Um, and it was as advertised. I mean, just just a genuinely good person. And uh, those are the type of people you want in your organization. Look, not everybody's going to play in the NHL. Not everybody's going to play 500,000 games in the NHL. There is such a value to veteran players at the American Hockey League level. I truly think watching 
all these games over the years, it's just hard to win if you don't have a group of veterans who are not only providing leadership but also producing. Um, and I think you've got to have a core. You can't just have a couple of them. And Chris Cola would certainly check that box uh, in spades. So, you know, from an offensive standpoint, but also leadership. So, yeah, I hope I hope he comes back too. Certainly, he was uh, he was just a great addition, not only on the ice but off. He just a genuinely good person and was happy to be there. And um, yeah, I think could help this team and a lot of these young players moving forward. Uh, Egazino, I mean, yeah, Kevin mentions Egazino. Obviously, I think Egazino was my MVP of the year. Obviously, he was the team MVP uh, for for the team awards. Um, and the only reason I didn't mention him in that in that group was because he is back next year. But um, I mean, Andre Egazino breaks the he broke the goals record and the points record, if I'm remembering Correct. correctly. Yep. Yeah, I yep. mean, um, so obviously him coming back next year is I think is a, is going to be a big um, plus for the team. Um, what did, what were your thoughts just overall on Egazino, um, his season? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the stats kind of speak for themselves. He was, he was excellent on the ice and then off the ice. He was great too. This is a guy who's played for a long time. Um, when they named him captain, John McCarthy said one of the big factors was, uh, for naming him captain was from what he remembered playing against him and just the tenacity that he has kind of the relentlessness um, not a real big guy from a, a stature standpoint, but he kind of gives you everything he has, and he'll mix it up and he'll 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 grind it out, and he'll he'll be a hard player to play against, and you know leads the way from an offensive standpoint. You know he he, he doesn't just you know talk the talk. He he kind of he walks the walks the talk a little bit, I guess if you will, um, just on, on what he provides for the team. Um, you know you saw him go up to the NHL and he had some production as well. A uh, guy who undrafted kind of had to work for everything he's gotten in his career and um, was great in the locker room. Guys loved him. Um, you know, was kind of the the perfect uh, player to wear the C. And it's good to get some continuity. Uh, you hope for next year too, if he's back and in, in the similar role that he played uh, this past season. Obviously, he's under contract, but you know, depending on how things shake out from a recall standpoint, if he plays the same role, plays predominantly in the AHL, um, you know, it's obviously a huge get. It's uh, you need those players, like I was saying, to be successful in the AHL. I truly believe it. So um, to have a guy who consistently is able to basically score 25 a year, you can almost pencil him in for that. Um, you know, that's that's a huge that's a huge thing for a team as you try to develop the young players too. you want to win. And I think you need veterans who could produce to do that. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one guy who uh, he's not at the MVP in his heart. Riley Barber. I don't know what was going on between Riley Barber and Andrew Agazino this season, but the Texas games in San Jose, those guys were going at it. Something must have happened elsewhere. I don't know. And then Riley Barber headbutts him in the first game in Texas there in Cedar Park. So uh, not an well, MVP. Thought, but yeah, I, I will about it. I asked him about the yeah. uh, headbutt, and uh, he said he thought he had slew footed him. Uh, but he said I, he's like I didn't slew foot him. I don't know why he thought that. So that's when it made him so incensed. Um, I was I was watching the whole thing too. I was, I, the puck's going back the other way. I'm watching it to my right. I'm like, what what is going on? Like you could tell he yeah. just lost his mind for a moment. Maybe the uh, the wires crossed a little bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, you know, again, you know, for 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 Mago's standpoint, he he plays a little bit on the edge. Uh, you know, he's kind of he, he's a hard guy to play against, and uh, you know, it's not surprising that from time to time he gets under the skin of the of the opponent, but. Uh, that was the backstory on that little sequence. Uh, he thought he 
thought he had slew footed him. And you could even see on Agazino's face as he was describing and kind of trying to plead his innocence. Um, it was almost, he was a little bit dumbfounded on the reaction. Uh, he was as confused maybe as anybody. So, um, you know, it's part of the game, I guess, if you will. Well, my, my tweets about both Chris Quello and Agazino over the last month have been my most popular tweets. So the fans clearly love, love him. Even Riley Barber doesn't. So, <laughs> Sorry, Riley. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, we had a lot of guys come in this season on ATOs trying to, you know, trying to help the team out. Who was who, the, the player on ATO that you think made the biggest impact? Probably Darren Brady. Uh, the way he was able to come in and, uh, and basically, uh, I guess I, I, you said ATO, excuse mm-hmm. me. He came in on a PTO. So um, of the ATO guys, probably Nathan Burke um, was, you know, from just a production standpoint. Um, I thought Ethan Frisch was pretty good, too, uh, from from the blue line. So, yeah, I'd never seen anything like it. We've never done that before. We brought in so many guys on ATOs. It certainly didn't help when you're when you're identifying players uh, and you're, you're calling the game, but uh, it was great to get some of these young guys in the mix and, you know, they were, they were excited to be there and it was fun to have their energy because a lot of them had just finished school and they were just happy to be at the pro level and they're all soaking it in. So it was cool. And uh, again, I, I would say guys who really stuck out, Nathan Burke had the two goal game uh, was huge in a, in a big win. And um, you know, Ethan Frisch, I thought was pretty good on the blue line too. I know a lot of guys played well. Roman canal, I thought was, was solid in his short, um, you know, period of time with the team. Um, but yeah, we brought so many of them. Um, yeah. Greasock was another one, guy who was in that mix. We didn't, I, I wouldn't say he played a ton. So, uh, I got hurt. I think too. I think Greasock yeah. got hurt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there was lots to choose from. Again, I had never seen anything like it. Every day I was getting a message that we were I, signing I, another I was, one. So I was, I was, <laughs> I was, uh, yeah. I, I, it's good that they contributed, though. Yes. Like, Nathan Burke was telling me about his dad uh, got into town, like, minutes before the start of the game that he had the two-goal game. And I guess one of the oh, photographers wow. got a shot of Burke scoring on that breakaway for, I think the breakaway was the first NH, first AHL goal that he scored. But he scored that goal, and he said the photographer got him with, with his arm air with his dad kind of singled out in the background leaping into the air and he <laughs> that's said amazing. that's a photo that my family's gonna have forever and i just thought that was such a cool story so like totally. and then he told me chase greasock was his college roommate so i guess there was a two for one package on uh that's how <laughs> maybe maybe all of these atos were two for one three for one or something hey come bring my buddies too <laughs> well uh Burke was actually roommates with Scott Reedy at Minnesota, and then he was roommates with Greasock at Bowling Green, and he used to live with um, McGrew when he was playing tier hockey with oh, wow. the L.A. Junior Kings. So Jake McGrew <laughs> used to be a Sharks prospect. He lived with him in L.A. Uh, or Orange, California, and they would commute to uh, El Segundo to play for the L.A. Junior Kings. So there's these weird kind of connections That's to uh, various members or former members of the organization. <laughs> But I have a soft spot for these guys. Uh, maybe it's just being a California kid who grew up playing hockey and not very many of my friends played hockey. But I always have a soft spot for these guys who come from these untraditional markets like Burke, who's from Scottsdale. And there's so many – I mean, it seems like there's so many kids that are coming out of that Arizona area. Obviously, Matthews yeah. is, is at the top of the list. But, um, you know, there's there's a lot of guys who come out of the area. But it's it's still a cool thing to see. And it's always kind of fun to, to – 
chat with these guys and talk about their paths because um, they're on the more unique side, I guess, if you will. So, uh, but yeah, it was pretty cool. I had no idea about that photo. So that's a cool story. I knew his dad was at the game. Yeah, he's pretty excited yeah. to have scored in front of him, but I didn't know about the photo, so that's cool. That's, yeah, that's really that, cool. That'll probably be their family Christmas card or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely. Um, any like obviously we were talking earlier about like it's the first year in the new um, arena. Is there any any standout memories from from games this year? Like the so things that stand out to you personally, Nick? Like something that you um, highlights for you personally, or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. You, you, I mean, I just look back to some of the bigger games. We had that, that country concert early in the year that I thought was was great. And I think it's something that, uh, you know, incorporating concerts and post-game concerts, I think, is something that they'll look to do moving forward at least once or, or twice a year. And um, just the atmosphere. Some of, we, we had a couple of games where we were over 3,000 and, um, you know, it was loud and it was raucous. Even when there was, you know, not our our biggest of crowds, there was still an atmosphere, um, which was great, but, mm-hmm. but some of those bigger games certainly stick out, um, you know, in this first season, having, having that type of a crowd. So I don't know, the one that, the one that comes to mind, at least, uh, right off the top is, is that country concert night and, uh, just, just the atmosphere and, and, you know, the, the amount of fans that we had at the game. So was, yeah, that's the, probably be it. The Barracuda won six to nothing over San Diego in that game too. That so hurt. you get a, you get a big crowd, you want to win six nothing, you know. Yeah, we love Roy, we love Roy, but you had to stick it to to the old cowboy too. So yeah, that always that makes you feel a little bit better too. <laughs> I didn't even put that together. The old cow, the cowboy on country night. Like, yes, oh. I think they did that a little bit on purpose. <laughs> um. So so looking ahead to next year, um, who do you think are going to be the teams that the Barracuda are going to have to watch for, um, in the Pacific Division? Hard to say because there's so much turnover. I would imagine, sure. um, you know, it's going to be interesting with Coachella Valley because they loaded up so heavy this year on vets. Uh, they're going to have more prospects next year. So that's going to, I think, bring them back down to earth a little bit. Um, I think the, the writing is on the wall that Dustin Wolf is probably going to be up in the NHL next year, at the very least, uh, as a number as a two goalie. You know, he's got a chance to win the MVP this year uh, in the uh, league. So, yeah, you know, he's got a legit chance. Um, I actually voted for him as the league MVP. Uh, yeah. We've seen him twice in the uh, last two years, and he's just been so good. Um, so we'll see about Calgary as well. Um, it's so hard, right? I mm-hmm. would imagine San Diego, they've had such a good team over the last handful of years. I would imagine they're going to have a bounce back next year. They'll be more competitive. Ontario always seems to have a pretty good team as well. Yeah. Um, you know, this year was – it's hard to tell in the division too because – there's not a ton of diversity. You don't go out of the division all that much. So it's hard to really uh, level yourself or have that, that litmus test against other teams out of the division. You, you kind of think, oh, this division's really good. But I really think this year the Pacific was as strong and um, there was more parity in the division than we've, we've seen in quite some time. So um, crystal ball-wise, it'd be hard to say. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I had no – you know, you just never know. Every year such a – there's so much turnover and there's so many new players and you got to factor in prospects and you got to factor in the draft and, and all, all these different things. So, yeah. Um, and, then, and then like, you know, and we saw it with the, with the Barracuda this year, I mean, obviously like yep. the NHL team gets a string of injuries and there goes your roster. Exactly. hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And you just never know there, yeah. you know, this year we had, we knew that the back end was going to be pretty young. And then you get a guy like Patrick C. who came in on a, 
on a, a trial and training camp. He ends up playing every game basically all year long. So you just never know who the roster is going to be and who who's going to who's going to come aboard. And then you have trades, and we you know we had tons of trades this year too with uh, Chris Cola coming in, Weatherby leaving, and then the Merkley trade. It's all these different factors. So um, hard to guess, I guess, but. You know, these organizations, it's pretty clear they want to invest in their prospects and they want to invest in their facilities and you know they want their teams to be competitive. So I would imagine the Pacific Division, there's not going to be uh, too many um, you know lemons in the division um, moving forward just because they want to win. They, they want these, these prospects to be in winning environments. So it's important. I'm, I'm sure Anaheim's going to make a concerted effort to have a much better team next year. Um, so And I'd, I'd imagine the rest of the division as well. Yeah, I'm, I mean, obviously, you know, they're going to have a new coach. Uh, obviously, Roy Sommer uh, calling it a career um, after his last year in San Diego there. And, I, you know, I wish him all well, obviously. Because um, I think, you know, I mean, he's been around for a long, long time. Um, I, have, I, I was have a, a little surprised to see – well, I guess I wasn't surprised. But, you know, Roy Sommer got put into that development coach role for the, the Sharks uh, in the com- – or in the – season that just passed but then i guess that uh that coaching bug uh kept calling and so he ended up down in san diego but so it did feel a little bit weird that he was on a rival team that we only got to see four times this year that i know was i know yeah everybody complained about that too i think that was the biggest gripe among the players and staff was that we only went to san diego twice and i think both games were wednesdays so um (laughs) We did have a good bonding experience this year, and maybe I'm tipping my cap or uh, kind of showing my hand um, on what the best. Uh, well, I, yeah, I want to ask you uh, okay. what your best road moment of the season was. <laughs> was it in San Diego? It was. This we is had water, a, we, by the way, this can that I keep. That's OK. If you, if you have an adult <laughs> beverage, that's fine. I'd respect it. Um, yeah, I think probably the best. I, I didn't have any. I was trying to think of any specific stories that uh, the one that originally came to mind was. Uh, was Chris Colo getting called up and Gushin getting called up on our trip during te- during the Texas trip? They end up yeah. going up. They both score in that big win over the the Coyotes. And then for Gushin, he came back. He played three and three. I think oh, he yeah. played four and five, <laughs> seven and nine, something like that. So, um, I, I, seven and nine, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Between the NHL and uh, and the American League, I'm pretty positive he played seven and nine. So. Um, but yeah, the, probably the best bonding experience was uh, the entire team. We went to a Padres game down in San Diego. We happened to just have a day off, and um, we had seats that were right beyond the the right field wall in our own little private section. Ooh. So, and it was, I mean, we all know how the weather's been this winter. There hasn't been a ton of sun, so we got uh, a seventy five degree day in San Diego. We watched a baseball game. I mean, it's kind of hard to beat. So. Um, yeah, it was good bonding, bonding experience for the guys too, just cause you, you're on the ice so much. And these guys, they do hang out away from the ice, but you know, it's hockey all the time to be able to kind of get your mind away from it, enjoy each other's company, try to explore a different city. A lot of these guys haven't spent much time on the West coast. It, it's great. So yeah, that's certainly, uh, something that sticks out as a, as a highlight, um, non-hockey related this season and kind of a, a fun thing we did away from the rink on a road trip. So I got I got than, oh, go ahead, better than sliding sideways down a Texas freeway there. <laughs> yes, so. I still have PTSD from that. I swear <laughs> I do. And we were uh, we were in Texas and we went over that same overpass. Um, it's just like a gradual climb that kind of hooks and then crosses over another freeway. 
They don't oh, have to God. worry about snow and, and ice too often, I guess, in Texas. So they built all these freeways that cross and zigzag and, and are a couple hundred feet off the ground. So we went over that exact same overpass that uh, we went sideways and bumped the guardrail on. And yeah, I remembered it. And uh, I, I don't think I'll ever forget that trip for the rest of my life. When so. when you guys went over that, did you and J-Mac just groan and everyone else was I like, I don't think what? J-Mac what? was on that trip. I don't oh. think he was. Yeah, yeah, I don't. The only guy, uh, the only player, I don't know if there's any players on that on the team anymore. Yeah. The only person I could think staff-wise would be our equipment manager, Mike Murphy. Um, and he had already taken the equipment truck, so he wasn't even on the bus. I think I was the only <laughs> one. I was kind of sitting there uh, just in my own thoughts. So, <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I think we all, you hear about these kind of horror stories, travel on the road and things that go on on the road. But uh, that's one that will certainly stick out. I guess it's uh, it's good to be able to talk about it and, uh, you know, in the past, I guess. Yes. If you survive it, it's all good. But uh, yeah, it's one that <laughs> sticks out. It's one that thing. I'm never going to forget for sure. You've got a smile on your face, so you can look back now and you know, <laughs> yeah, be exactly. happy. Exactly. For, for everyone who is listening or watching right now who does not know this reference, uh, go uh, to the Teal Town USA YouTube channel and check out the archives of the, In the Reef or uh, – the, the Barracuda Live, stuff like that. What One of the episodes, in fact, listen to them all. Listen I to invite them all. Yeah, you yeah, to. Yeah. But uh, one of the episodes, we talked about uh, Nick's treacherous adventures on icy freeways in Texas. So. <laughs> Uh, it's just ice skating along. I, I, <laughs> I, I can definitely, uh, I can definitely relate to that story. Cause I think one year um, we were traveling and, and, and some of the highways up here are pretty, pretty brutal, especially in the winter. Um, and we had an accident. Um, actually, I was going to meet my wife's family for the first time. And uh, we had an accident there. And uh, anytime, even in the summer on that stretch of highway, I'm still always like, Ugh. just because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yep, totally. It's like, uh, you know, they, you talk about like memories that you have forever. And it, there's usually an emotional connection to it. Um, probably the reason why you remember, I'll, I'll never forget that. As long as every time I go to Texas, I feel like I'm going to remember that, uh, forever. Yeah. There's oh, some yeah. <laughs> sort of emotional tie to it, but yeah, I guess if you survive it, it's all good. <laughs> so an interesting, an interesting now. story that came out, um, AHL story, not Barracuda related, but there's, there's rumors, obviously Chicago might go independent next season. Um, do you see a possibility where in order, like if the, if a team like Chicago uh, goes independent, do you see a situation where they expand the AHL possibly to try and accommodate? I I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point. Um, I don't think that's out of the the realm of possibilities. Yeah. I think that's, that's actually a good call. It makes more sense. I would think than having a team basically double up an affiliation, right? No, they've done that a couple of times over the last few years. I know. Vegas did it in Chicago um, during the COVID season. We had some of that stuff go on. I don't think that's always ideal. Um, you know, I, there's 20 plus teams, I think, in the in our league at least that are owned by their NHL franchise. And from a developmental model, you've got to imagine that's going to be your best bet. That's that's kind of your best process, and it's become much more the norm. Um, so it's a good point. I, I didn't think about expansion uh, to kind of accommodate a, a team like Chicago, obviously Chicago is a huge revenue revenue generator. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from a fandom standpoint, uh, from just a winning standpoint, it's one of the real marquee brands in the league. So they don't want to lose Chicago. There's no question about it. Um, but it's a good point. I didn't even think about the fact that you could essentially go to maybe 33 teams um, if need if you needed to. 
Um, obviously, it looks like Chicago is looking to go independent, but uh, yeah, it'd be that, that's a great point. Yeah, didn't even think about expansion, so that's a good point. Yeah, the re- the reason that I in in our notes I phrase it that way is I remember Scott Housen, uh, the AHL commissioner Scott Housen, a year or two on the the old Around the A podcast, and he kind of I don't remember exactly what he said, but the way that he said it just perked my ears like is he leaving the door open for oh it was something about like we might not not affiliations will not stop us from potentially moving to 34 or 36 teams and i just it struck me odd so when i heard chicago may go independent my first thought was well third there's got to be 30 AHL teams who are who are affiliated with the 32 NHL teams because as you mentioned it didn't seem like the the Vegas uh St. Louis partnership was was you know long for the world and I think before that it was like Columbus and Carolina shared a team for a while something along those lines so I I it's something I think we all need to just keep on our radar cuz hey if if Chicago goes independent Maybe you bring back San Antonio, who used to be an independent franchise, and then there's another team in Texas. So uh, hey, your favorite, uh, your favorite state, Nick. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I lived in Texas. Um, Nothing wrong with Texas. It just, uh, I just have some PTSD. That's all it is. <laughs> that's yeah. uh, but that's a great point. I, I, I honestly, because that news came out recently, obviously over the last yeah. couple of months um, that Chicago was looking to do that. Um, the other team too was Seattle. Uh, they split the affiliation with Charlotte uh, before right. they moved the team oh, to Coachella yeah. Valley. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that yeah. doesn't seem like that's ideal um, to have the blend of, of organizations basically under one roof. So it makes sense that a team would want to have, you know, its own affiliation and, and want its own team. And yeah, I mean, in our league, I don't think there's anything wrong with more than 32 teams, I guess, if you, if you look at it in that way and, the league's willing to have a team that's not affiliated, um, that's running basically its own business and, and wants to win games and will bring in veteran players to fill the roster. Now, the question I thought about when this news kind of came out is you do have the veteran rule in the American Hockey League where you can only have so many veterans playing a game. Yeah. So what are they going to do there? That, that's that's, that's what I'm intrigued point. about. So, And maybe you get a situation where, you know, Jordan Bennington where – it didn't quite work out for him within the Blues organization, development-wise. They sent him to another organization on the loan, and ends up, you know, working his way to the NHL. So maybe it's a situation where they're just kind of taking some of these quote-unquote cast-offs to fill the roster. I'm yeah. not sure. Quite interesting, though. If, I mean, if you, so especially when you look at like Joe, a situation like right. San Jose, where like you know you have potentially four or five goalies. <laughs> That's where I was going with that. I was going to say you're prognosticating Joe Will loaning out at least one goalie next season to (laughs) Chicago. Okay. I heard that, Nick. Zach Sawchenko, I think he was there this year. Um, Yeah, I mean, how many goalies can they take, though? Every team's going to be looking to have uh, their goalies sent there. I feel like every organization's trying to loan out a goalie somewhere. I mean, usually it's in the East Coast League, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about the other positions. You could bring in veterans. You could bring in uh, guys who are established. But how do you fill the cracks for the remainder of your roster? And uh, it's it's going to be fascinating. On honestly, it'll it'll be something that we haven't at least seen in modern times in the AHL, right. a, a completely independent franchise. So, 
Yeah, I'm curious uh, to see how that how that uh, how that pans out. Um, how big how big of a role do you think? Obviously, like again, obviously the goaltending is a situation where I think we could see like uh, how big of a role do you think Wichita plays next season? Uh, I feel bad for those guys. The way things shook out this year, at sure. one point I think they had nine or ten guys on the uh, on their team that were from the organization and you, trades, injuries, and and you name right. it, uh, completely ravaged their team. They went from a a club that was a shoe in to make a playoffs uh, to scratching and clawing right at the end of the year. So um, I would I would imagine we're gonna have a goalie go back there again, just like we kind of had this year, just to get them games. Goalie, more than any other position, we've seen the ECHL be a, a great tool uh, just to get games, right? More, yep. more so than forwards or defense. Goalies can go there and play because that's the most important thing for their development is just games. Um, so, yeah, I would imagine certainly it's going to be utilized again next year. And um, I believe the affiliation, to my understanding, was a was a one-year contract. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, I, I believe, and, I, and don't quote me on that, but, sure. uh, you know, from – all the the sense that I've gotten, it's it's been a good relationship, and I think they would they would like to continue to move forward. So, um, and I think there was a lot of benefits this year to really having a, a East Coast affiliate, no longer just sending guys to Orlando and having to disperse. Uh, you have a team that you know where guys are going, and there's some continuity there. Um, I thought was really valuable. So, um, yeah, I'm sure it, it'll get utilized again next year for for the organization um, and getting guys to. To play more games, right? You don't want them sitting. You want them playing, and and that's what the East Coast League can can provide. Awesome. Yeah. Um, speaking of more general AHL stuff, uh, who do you have in the uh, coming out of each conference, and who's who is winning the Calder Cup? That's a great point. Um, well, I, I always kind of root for Providence because they've got Ryan Mujanel there, uh, former Barracuda oh. assistant coach. Yeah. Um, so we don't see in any of those East Coast teams, so it's really hard for me to to, to guess on those. But uh, at least in our conference, I guess, if you will, um, we saw Texas this year. They've been obviously at the, the top of their, uh, their division for a good majority of the year. So, um, again, it's kind of a guessing game because we just don't see all these teams. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Texas finds a way to get out of uh, – out of their division, it's it's always a tough place to play in. They've got a, a great atmosphere. It's a great building. Um, they've won a Calder Cup in their history. They've been to a, a finals within, within the last, I think, six or seven years. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Texas gets out. And then in our division, uh, I feel a little more confident about the Pacific Division maybe than the <laughs> others. Um, Calgary is uh, Calgary and Coachella Valley, but I, I think Calgary is is going to win the division. It, it's just uh, it's a veteran team. They've been there. They had a great team last year. They've got the goaltending. Um, they've got the defense. They've got the scoring. So um, I'd be almost shocked if they don't they don't at least get to the to the Pacific Division Finals and and get beyond. I I, I think they're going. I mean, if I had to guess, I think Calgary's winning the Calder Cup this year. So we'll see how that how it shakes out. A lot can transpire. A lot can go down, but. Uh, that's one heck, one heck of a hockey team. I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree there. I think, and the other thing I think that works to Calgary's favor is they are not going to have their their big club poach any of their players. Like they're totally. they're not playing, yep. so they Definitely. they they kind of get that roster con- continuity. They got the the best roster possible to to basically play through the playoffs. So I think that Calgary is definitely uh, um, good. Um, I, I really, if we don't, if we don't, if we don't get a Calgary Coachella series, I'm going to be very sad. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. One thing in the AHL, too, and I noticed this more in the AHL than the NHL. The NHL every year, the President Trophy winner, it seems like they get knocked out in the first second round. In the American mm-hmm. Hockey League, it does feel like the team that's been the front runner throughout the regular season, if, if you're the best team in the regular season, it often seems like they find a way to at least get to the finals, more so than the NHL. I don't know if, if you guys agree with that. Just off the top of my ha- head in recent memory, it does seem like the best teams do find a way to get to the finals. Yeah, more so than uh, the NHL, that's kind of a crapshoot. So. I can't dispute it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't yeah. have anything in my head right now that would dispute that at all. <laughs> Chicago yeah, last no. year was by far the best team. They would go on to win it. Yeah, um, which Charlotte, is why it's crazy it's... that they finished last in their division this season. But so that's what makes predicting next year hard because it's like you got a Calder Cup and then their last place. So well, look at. Uh, well, Alex Lyon, he's starting for Florida. He was the goalie <laughs> last year. Stephen yeah. Nason, former Shark of Barracuda forward. I think he scored 50 goals last year in the American Hockey League. He he's on the number one power play for the Carolina Hurricanes. So, I mean, a lot of, a lot can happen over a, a calendar year, right? These teams just, I mean, every single year in the American Hockey League, the team is almost completely flipped over. So, um, not not completely, but it, it, it almost feels like at least half the roster is new, so. It year to year makes it fun, right? That that it's you can't uh, pre- you can't predict much in our league um, just because of the turnover. Awesome, Kevin. Any questions you have? Uh, uh, I was going to say you guys want to. My question, I guess, is you guys want to hear my wild AHL Calder Cup prediction? I'm, I think I'm you guys are right. It. I think <laughs> I think Calgary's a wagon, but. I'm picking the Hershey Bears to win because they got Todd Nelson, who's won it before. Hershey was dominating for a while, and then they got some injuries. And I just think usually your league finals are typically, like you said, Nick, you've got your best team in the league who's there, and then you've got the team that gets the hottest. And I feel like when Hershey gets the hottest, they're unbeatable. And I think they could topple Providence. I'm sorry. And uh, and if they topple Providence, I think that they're going to get the the confidence there to just make it to the finals. And then, I don't know. I just, I can't doubt Todd Nelson. I think he's a, a magnificent head coach. And they've got a good roster there. So good goaltender and Hunter Shepard. And, and I don't know. I think even though I love Dustin Wolf, and I got a Dustin Wolf story for the end of this show. But... Sure. Uh, I don't know. There's just something, something's nagging me, guys. So that's where I'm going. Hershey over Calgary. Well, it's not a bad uh, call to to predict the Blue Bloods as well. We talked about Chicago. Hershey's another one of those. Those franchises mm-hmm. that invest in their players. And you talked about with Calgary too, not being in the NHL playoffs. Hershey and Washington, same situation. Yep. So you're going to get those players. So, um, yeah, not a bad call. Not a bad call at all. Awesome. Uh, I I'm, I think I've got everything here. Kevin, you got anything else? You want to tell us the Dustin Wolf story? I'll tell you the Dustin Wolf story. I was gonna ha- I was waiting for Hockey Jerk to be around, but since we have mentioned Dustin Wolf a few times, so well, first off, uh, just kind of wrapping up this season, I feel like you know you mentioned consistency was was trouble. They couldn't string wins. The Barracuda couldn't string wins together. I was very fortunate that it seemed like I would go on one of the two nights and almost always I went to the better game of the two <laughs> nights but that's the thing that the Barracuda very rarely for ho- at home 
were able to put it together both ends of a back-to-back. I think that's really where they faltered this season was they, they'd come out flat on a Friday night and then figure it out and have a much better effort on Saturday. Um, and so I, that, that's something that I think the coaching staff will, will identify and address for next season's crop of, of rookies and now second-year players as well. So, um, so the one time this didn't work out for me this whole season was Calgary, but it did work out because I was really excited to see Dustin Wolf. And Dustin Wolf, if I recall, put up like 41 saves. He nearly had the shutout against the Barracuda that night. Uh, Bortolo scored with about two minutes left and, and salvaged uh, the shutout. We lost four to one. <laughs> During the course of that night, uh, probably around like save 35, my buddy uh, Will McNeil, you know him as right field Will uh, from the Oakland Athletics games and stuff. He's yelling at Dustin Wolf. Why is this guy still here? Because he's just completely <laughs> dominating the eye. Why is this guy still here? Send him to Calgary. And I said, bro, you they are Calgary. Like, he's, <laughs> he's, they're the Calgary Wranglers now. And he's like, well, oh, okay. Why didn't they leave him in Stockton then? And just, I swear, this is my best one-liner ever. I just, without thinking, I said... Well, you didn't want him to leave him by himself uh, in Stockton and be a lone wolf. Jeez, oh, <laughs> that was Thank a good dad joke. That was I good thought <laughs> it was the most brilliant line: "Lone wolf for Dustin Wolf, leave him." Uh, anyway, well played. All right, well played. I'm Mostly at Kevin tough. Lacey 22. <laughs> I will bring better jokes this off season. I thought it was hilarious, though. So. Hey, I'm laughing. I thought it was pretty good. It was good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm here. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nick, obviously, appreciate your time this year. Um, uh, coming on uh, when you had uh, when you've come on, it's obviously it's always been awesome to to talk Barracuda with you, and I look forward to doing it again uh, next season. Yeah. Um, enjoyed your call. I think again, like I've I've loved your work uh, on the call. Um, always makes the games more um, fun to watch. Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, what can I say? Appreciate your time. Appreciate it, guys. And thank you guys for the support. And, you know, obviously you guys are doing a good job covering the team and always happy to jump on. But uh, have a great summer if I don't talk to you guys. I, I expect us all to be a little bit tanner the next time we speak. So oh, you're so big. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Well, thank hey, you. you. Thank you. Again your for wedding time. was last summer? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you just yeah. get a summer of... Yes. Yes. You know, so... My my, I don't get to see. Everybody asks me about the wedding and and marriage, and I, I keep telling people. I well, I keep telling them I haven't got to see my wife very much. We got married in August. I jump right into rookie tournament, right into the season. It's like a nine month sprint. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, all right, now I get to hang out with my wife a little bit. We get to enjoy uh, enjoy a summer. So cool. Uh, yeah, so looking forward to it. But uh, appreciate nice. it, guys. Thanks thanks for having me. Awesome. All right. Um, and again, guys, if you ever, you know, you know how this YouTube things works. If you want to uh, catch a show, you can catch us on replay. You can find it on all your favorite audio streams. Um, and again, if you have any uh, comments you want to leave us, but you didn't get to watch the show live, leave us a comment in the YouTube chat. Leave us a like, hit the subscribe button. You know the drill. All that fun stuff. And again, uh, thank you to Nick. Thank you to Kevin. And we will see you guys when we see you next.